0: Welcome back to another amazing episode of Market Impact Insights. What a year of opportunity it is. Marketing, driving, strategic business growth. It's a dynamic market. It's a competitive market. And so the upside of effective marketing has never been greater. We're going to dive in to really exploring some of those key drivers around really taking your marketing execution to another level with a passionate entrepreneurial leader, passionate about marketing. Martin Piatchuk is the leader of Pinch. He's the CEO. This is a digital marketing agency. And Martin is helping B2B channel and partner marketing clients execute their effective marketing more quickly. Uh, he's got 20 years of experience in hands-on planning and implementing digital and conventional marketing strategies that are all about not only meeting, but beating those revenue targets. And as a marketer, all of you can really relate to how important it is for marketing to make a clear and measurable contribution to business success. And Martin is going to give us some insight and some wisdom from his journey into how we can make that happen. Martin, welcome to Market Impact Insights.
1: Thanks, Dan. Thanks for the warm introduction. I appreciate it. Although I do feel a little old sometimes when you talk about, <laughs> we talk about conventional marketing and digital marketing together. That means I've been, I've been around a block a few times, yes. Yeah, so absolutely. i to the conversation for sure, Dan.
0: Yeah, so let's go back. And what a fascinating path you've had. And what really originally sparked your passion around marketing and marketing technology?
1: Hmm. Now you really asked me to go way back, but I think I was always a bit of a techie. Uh, I guess it comes with the territory. My, my dad is a, is a software engineer. So it did, I guess it just rubbed off of me. I had uh, my first uh, Commodore 128 um, back when I was like a, in in my early tens. And um, it, I, for, for the longest time, I thought I'm going to step into his footsteps and uh, until high school when I took my first coding class and I realized, no way, Jose, this is not for me. Um, And this was the end of my coding career. Um, As much as I love technology, you know, the Love working with technology, work using the technology, understanding the technology, but yeah, actually building it—that's a different—that's a different ballgame. I will leave it to my dad and others who are way smarter than me on in that regard. So yeah, that was my original starting point, I'd say, uh, back in high school. And and the other part was like I was, um, I was a bit of an artist, at least I thought I was. Uh, you know, I, I did some painting, I did some. Yeah. Uh, I was, I thought I was creative, and I thought, hey, what's uh, how can I, um, what's the good, uh, selection for me as, as my career move and marketing was it, you know, it allowed me to, um, go into the business side of things, but also be creative. And at the time I thought, Hey, marketing would be a good path for me. Um, but on the technology front, yeah, I, I, I always was, um, was interested in that. And then when marketing, um, started seeing some of the technological movements like introductions of email programs that are able to track um and uh, you had uh, google analytics seeing what's happening on your website and i was super excited i, I just I geeked out on that and uh i've been following technology in the marketing space ever since and i'm always a proponent of um, experimenting with the latest greatest technologies and uh, that i can use in marketing
0: Yeah. And I have to ask this, I've I've talked to some other marketing leaders that early on had more technical roots, hands-on technical roots. Do you you find that even though you shifted gears, went in a different direction, that some of those original roots, your curiosity and your interest in more the hands-on coding, do you see that still playing out maybe in the way you look at things, the way you uh, solve problems today?
1: I think absolutely. I think that's what's inspired me to get uh, to become an entrepreneur I think it inspired me to like you said I I think I would consider my to be a curious mind so if there's anything else that's new and out there I don't typically have this backing to it and say oh no no change is bad I, I I'm like okay you know what let's 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 try it out I'm definitely uh on the side of experimentation and and trying out new things so yeah it's for sure it's been it's been part of my life ever since
0: Mm-hmm. Now we're obviously at a time where marketing is so pivotal uh, in the success of companies um, that are striving to grow to try to achieve breakaway from the competition. What are some of the things that are making being effective as a marketing leader or as a marketing team even harder to make happen today than than maybe even ten or fifteen years ago?
1: Mm, good question, and I, I think there's a few things that come to mind. I think it technology on one hand is a blessing on the other hand is a bit of a curse and um i think we see it with our kids uh, the decreasing attention spans are are huge uh people have less and less attention i guess it's because of the proliferation of the content that's there they have less and less time to consume what's in front of them so that's that's definitely one thing um and I feel like that the changing customer demographic has also changed, right? How how we made decisions when before buying or selecting a solution was very different ten, fifteen years ago than it is today. I think ten, fifteen years ago we were so entrusting our life into the hands of, you know, the expert, the uh, the, the the salesperson who would tell us the story and the narrative about their solution, and we would we would have to trust that. And I think what's happened since is that a lot of that education is now in the power of the consumer. So I think that the sophistication has, uh, you know, the internet and has allowed people to research solutions. You know, I think there's some statistics out there these days that suggest that I think 65%, maybe it's 80% now, I don't know, of the education about your solution happens before you even have a conversation with the salesperson or anyone at that organization you're trying to have a conversation with. So it's really changed how, how consumers are thinking about um, products and solutions. So therefore, as a result of that, marketing has changed dramatically as well. So you have to change how you so it's no longer putting just offers in front of people now it's creating the whole journey from start to finish and that's been really a super um, big change i think but i think for the better
0: yeah it's really been a leveling of the playing field right or if you think about balance of power which is information being power and going way back you know where you were really dependent on extracting more information, uh, mm-hmm. but now by the time you really get into that meaningful conversation, to your point, there's been so much research, so much available to the purchaser that the, the whole balance of power shift
1: is very real as a B two B marketer and seller. Absolutely, and I think you know, it, you know those touch points. Uh, I think these latest statistics suggest that you have to touch a customer digitally or otherwise fifteen or so times before they're willing to. To trust you enough to have a conversation with you, so that's why I'm talking about journeys now. It's not about campaigns mm-hmm. anymore. It's not yeah. just about one-time shot and hope for the best. Like now, it's uh, it's like a marriage. You have to you have to build out for start 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 fresh. Build that awareness. Build that trust step by step. Um, to and educate them along the way, and hopefully uh, empower them to feel to be an empowered consumer, right? Ultimately, I think that's what customers want these days. They want to feel that they're making a good decision, and I think marketing's purpose to this day is to make them feel like they're empowered to make that right decision.
0: Now, what you're really talking about there is trusted relationships instead of transactions.
1: Absolutely, I like that. Yeah, it's absolutely, it's not about the transaction anymore. Uh, ultimately, I know, I know that's what we want. We want the transaction to occur, but the process has changed dramatically. So it's, it's very much about that relationship. Uh, it's all about relationship building and building trust. Um, yeah. And, and, and buying yourself that, um, you know, like I think before I'm thinking it was all about just hopefully making dials for dollars, you know, like the telemarketing world, you know, you, you make a hundred dials, hopefully somebody will pick up and then you have a script and hopefully that, that st- strikes a note. Those days are over. I think now it's all about, uh, having much more personalized conversations, having a dialogue, allowing interaction, and allowing the customer to really interact with your brand and your in your business and and all the content you might be putting out there, so yeah, the, the landscape has shifted quite a bit
0: it, it has, and I love the way you talked about shifting over to a journey mindset mm-hmm. when we think about that continuum of how we engage with customers uh in trying to get into those trusted relationships and of course as a career marketer i have heard so many times the eternal question martin you have too right which is show me the return on investment for my marketing spend it's it's right. the eternal question and so that's still very relevant in terms of being able to demonstrate and, and show that return how should we be thinking about that is that different today too
1: Oh yeah, it's uh, it's very different. I mean, the conversations with uh, the leadership, the CEOs, the CROs that you, that marketing might be reporting to, have shifted dramatically. The expectation of what you're supposed to deliver and what ROI looks like has also changed quite dramatically. You know, you talked about ten, fifteen years ago. Um, I you know I remember when marketing was a bit, a little bit more of a, an art than a science. And sometimes reporting on some of the results of of, of the marketing efforts was very much an nice. art. Sometimes, you know, so and and the vanity metrics and statistics, like you know, even with the digital, like open rates, uh, number of impressions, clicks. I feel like those are nice things to report on, but they're not truly what you know the CEOs and the CROs tr- care about these days. And what they want to see is like, how is the marketing effort? getting them closer to getting that deal. And so therefore the expectations are way higher. And I think we have to th- thank the technologies for that, but also there's a bit of a challenge with that regard, right? On one hand, the expectations are higher because the expectations, hey, everything is digital. Everything is trackable. It's supposed to be easier now, but, but now marketers don't have one tool. They have you know 10 tools and unfortunately a lot of these tools are they don't talk to each other so the data is fragmented at best the attribution uh and making connecting the dots has become even more challenging than ever i think so it's uh so yeah talking and thinking about roi trying to put it all together is, is challenging um and i think it has been uh it continues to be I'm kind of hopeful that the ROI conversations uh, can be better with, you know, the advent of AI. For instance, you know, I think that AI has an opportunity to, to connect those dots, and I think it has an ability to perhaps um, give us a clearer path of that attribution. Like, what exactly? How many touchpoints? Which touchpoints um, contributed to the positive outcome? Um, for the business and i think that in that regard that has really changed um how rois is is being considered these days and what's being tracked I think before, like I said, it was the open rates and click-through rates. Now it's about, you know, CAC or, or cost per acquisition or uh, acceleration of the deal or, um, you know, how many touch points resulted in, in, um, in, in the sale or, you know, what we call SQLs or, uh, you know, uh, sales qualified leads or sales accepted leads. I think it's much further down the funnel now uh, than it was ever before.
0: Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the wide array of tools that are available now to help marketers be able to report out uh, and to be able to actually uh, look at hard metrics, quantitative versus qualitative. But an observation I've, I've had, you know, looking at, at various team experiences is if you're not really clear in a very specific set of questions that you're seeking to answer, mm-hmm. that is availability of just so many different tools and just so much volume of data, it can almost be overwhelming, right? And then you get caught in just where you're swimming in the data. So it seems like there is this importance of clarity of purpose or objective in addition to just going and consuming and looking at all this data.
1: Yeah, you're making a very good point, Dan. i I completely agree with you. I think some of the mistakes that marketers make is that they – they start doing, and uh, and they're not necessarily connecting to the OKRs or the KPIs of the business. And I think that's the first uh, first thing, right? From a strategic perspective, when you're setting up your plan, the plan has to be connected to the organizational goals. And a lot of times, it's it it's missing that connection. And I think that's one of the biggest conflicts I've ever had with, uh, you know, with with the bosses is that sometimes they think okay how does this connect to that particular okr or that particular ob- business objectives and i think that's the first thing that has to be done first it's like okay here's the business objectives we want to grow our revenue or we want to retain customers or um, we have a strategic objective to expand into new markets or new industries so th- then you figure out okay what are the what is the strategy marketing strategy look like to to work hand in hand with those business objectives. And then I think I find that once you have that strategy that's perfectly aligned or well aligned, then it's much easier to identify, you know, what are the right tactics? What are the, the right things that we can do um, to support that as marketers? Yeah, it's really
0: relevance at the end of the day is what you're talking about. And how do, how do you get to being able to demonstrate that relevance of the marketing activity and the marketing spend? I love it. And exactly. Relevance is a good key. Yeah. Good word. Another really critical part of the marketing strategy, of course, is content. And we think about engaging audiences uh, doing that through compelling content. And there's, there's a lot of buzz around greater personalization in terms of the content strategy and approach. Mm -hmm. How, How do you view that in terms of impacts to lead generation, customer retention, in terms of just how you approach content and how you execute on it,
1: mm. Yeah, I, I think we talked about it earlier. I think going back to customers' expectations, I think not only we have to respect a customer who is very well educated in our solution by the time they, they, you know they call us or they converse with us, but I think their expectation is that we know just, amount, just as much about them. Um, I think the expectations are high, so when you're sending a generic message to uh, a people that you you want to have a conversation with, that's no lo- that's uh, that's not good enough. Like it, the personalization has to speak to them. Um, they want to feel that a they don't want to waste time, and they want to be spoken to. Um, in a dialogue kind of fashion and the, the one what's the best way to do that by, by f- finding common ground understanding their challenges understanding their their how they think about the world uh, understanding where they come from um, if it's not on the individual level at least at the business level uh, so you understand like if you're catering to oil and gas organizations uh, you know all in all, <laughs> who have an objective to like you said retain customers uh, in a, in a collapsing industry, and as an example, of course, that's a very different conversation than talking to someone working in a hospital and trying to take care of patients. So creating that narrative that's going to speak to those audiences as closely as possible. So it's super critical, in my opinion. That's why one of the first things I recommend is is to identify like really create a very good profile of what's called the ICP or ideal client profile you know who okay. are these individuals like what are their titles who where do they work um, what kind of challenges do they have um, how is the world changing you know like what are the how do they conduct business what what are they trying to achieve what their, what, are, what are their objectives and then you you say okay, how can I cater my marketing to speak to those individuals. If it's not individually by one to one, it's certainly put them in clusters that say, "Okay, these are VPs working for oil and gas companies, or these are uh, IT pros at uh, at a at, you know cybersecurity organizations." It's super important to to really respect that and and make them feel like they we know what they're talking about by understanding them better than any than ever before.
0: Yeah, certainly in the B2B world, the era of any kind of mass marketing, generic marketing, we're past that, right? I mean, if you don't have that Mm. understanding of need uh, specific to those personas, it's going to be really hard to get to any sort of trusted relationship status, right? Because just the relevance isn't going to be there.
1: Yeah, and I and I would like to say how many times we all. I think sometimes we forget as marketers that we're also customers potentially. And I can I could probably look to you, and you can just look at your LinkedIn and see how many times you get all these messages coming your way, or emails, uh, completely out of the blue. You know, it's not permission based marketing; it's just basically spam. And then, so you you look at these communications, and you're thinking to myself, like, what are these people thinking? They know nothing about me. They know nothing about uh, what I do, what I think about, what my challenges are, um, versus if I get a communication that says, hey, Martin, I, I know you work at Pinch. These are the kind of clients you work with. These are the kind of challenges. I, I actually read an article of yours recently, and I understand, you know, I totally relate to that that's a way better conversation way better dialogue to to start than some some generic messages saying hey do you need digital marketing services i'm like no i am a digital marketing service like i do not need digital marketing services so it it's it's i almost get upset when i get these i don't know about you but i certainly sometimes feel like oh you're just wasting my time like you really should take you know uh, take do a little bit more homework before approaching me and i and i think but sometimes the funny thing is, sometimes we forget and we do the same thing saying because yes. somebody comes to us and says, hey, I just want to send an email to 5,000 people. And I'm like, well, that's that's not going to work over well. But we do it because maybe there's bigger pressures at, at play. But um, I think we con- we need to remind ourselves constantly who we're catering to, um, what's going to resonate with them, and, and create that relevance, as you called it earlier.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, you had touched on artificial intelligence earlier in terms Mm. of uh, some of the impacts. But when you think about emerging technologies, AI, can you expand a little bit on how you see that impacting just overall approach to marketing in the B2B space? Mm.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, beyond being fearful that it's going to take over my my job? <laughs> just kidding, of course. I mean, I, I think when it first came out, I was like, uh-oh, this could be dangerous. You know, this, like, is it going to take over all our content development? Or uh, maybe some people will be prone to just thinking that AI can take over a strategy. Uh, I've since uh, feel differently. And I think that there is a very positive aspect to AI and how it can help marketing Teams, but also in general, marketing in general as a as a trade. Um, You know, we talked about content just now, and I think this idea of hyper personalization AI has the capacity to do that at scale, like uh, never before. I could talk about briefly about ABM or account based marketing. You know, that's the idea. Before is that you have a very uh, small list of highly strategic accounts, then you, you work with your sales organization, or maybe like researchers to try and find as, as, as much as possible individuals who are part of the buying cycle. Um, and then, you know, someone on the marketing team or maybe the BDR team starts putting together like these snippets of information, like, you know, critical to these individuals. Well, that was highly manual right you had to do that's why you could only do hundreds in a year because the process and the tools were uh, i would say still reliant on on the human interaction and and human power now you know with the uh, the the more complex language models and ability for like the chat GPTs of the world, that it can go in and uh, analyze people's LinkedIn profiles. It can analyze what it finds publicly about individuals and organizations. And it, it does a pretty good job at summarizing those key and you know key points of understanding about what are the best possible angles uh that you can use to reach out to those individuals and you could do that personalization at scale so the hyper personalization um can now be done with ai i think uh, much more effectively than ever before so i think that's number one the personalization the other ones i'm thinking about is just you know we talked about data and attribution that's been a super uh it continues to be a super big challenge for marketers. But I think with AI, I haven't seen, by the way, tools to allow me to fix that problem just yet, but I think it has the potential of allowing marketers to connect the dots much easier. So, you know, putting this data into some kind of data mart and um, leveraging AI to make sense and connecting those dots at a much faster rate than any human can. Um, and then as a result of that, creating this attribution. So understanding the path that the customers or prospects have taken in order to get from zero to a hundred, um, and, and better understanding of like, you know, what are the tactics, what are the campaigns, what are the things that truly work, um, which gives marketers a, a better way of, uh, making better investments. Um, and then ultimately, as a result of that, I, I, my biggest hope is, I hope, I hope, this is my hope, that it will change a lot of the mundane tasks uh, that marketers used to be able to have to do manually um, and take away a lot of that work and, and allow marketers to be more strategic, more creative, give them more time to experiment. Uh, I think those are the things I'm hopeful Uh, of uh, quite a bit so now has it played out yet just yet not yet but i'm hopeful i I think that's going to come very soon Mm
0: -hmm. it's interesting because the barrier to access for these ai tools it's actually pretty low so Mm -hmm. everyone can access it so the differentiator in terms of i guess the winners from the losers maybe more around how smart uh, you are in how you leverage it, right? And do it with mm. some purpose and intent. And that'll maybe separate out, you know, from an execution standpoint, not about, well, it required a certain amount of just financial investment. And so some had it, some didn't. It feels like it's more in the art and the science and the strategy of how to best leverage it. it mm. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'm, I'm kind of hinting on this, suggesting that it's not just about uh, how to use the AI to your advantage, but it 's also learning the right questions to ask the AI to get the most out of it right and i think I think the strategy and the thinking and the kind of questions you ask are still in control of the human right i think I think for now, maybe who knows in ten years maybe that 's going to be different, but I think right now the the human still is responsible to identify, identifying, like, what are the questions that it needs to ask to get the answers and put it to, cohesively as into a unit. And I think AI hasn't figured that out yet. I think it's really good at answering some questions, um, and and it's terrible at giving others. You know, like, we keep hearing things about... Um, AI making stuff up, um, you know, hallucinating, I believe is the term, um, giving you wrong sources. So I think there is, you have to be careful who you trust, um, in terms of the AI, um, and understanding what are the limitations of it and, uh, what it truly does. But I, I do hope that what humans will retain is the ability to still think about the high, uh, the highest level, which is like what is the overarching strategy and how how can I leverage these tools um, to my advantage? I think that's going to be really critical, and it's I think like, the marketers who don't use it that way, I think will fail right like if they don't uh, replace some of those mundane tasks that they can that can be automated that don't free up their time to do more strategic work or innovative work, will probably be left behind. It's like we're in the early chapters of a really
0: exciting book, and we're all excited and anxious to see how the book ends, but we're not there yet. <laughs> so we're in that early part of of possibilities.
1: Yeah, a lot of uh, times, you know, it's the, the book has not even been written. I think we're writing it as we go. <laughs> so um, <laughs> yeah. I think that's the challenge. It's like what, what's that saying? You know, like we're we're building the airplane while flying it. I think that's a bit, a little bit of like that. Um, But that's why I keep thinking about this idea of uh, not being afraid to try new things and experimenting because not all of them will succeed. Um, Some of them will fail, but it's okay. We can't be afraid of failure, especially during this time of these tools that are just so powerful. Um, We can't ignore them.
0: That's right. And as a CEO, I know leadership is on your mind. A lot. What do you think separates truly exceptional leadership from just good enough?
1: Hmm. You know, I've been, I've been, I had, uh, I've been a leader for a long time now, and I remember when I first started, and I had uh, people reporting to me. I think the uh, what the business schools were preaching that there's this hierarchy that had to exist and you are the top dog and everybody beneath you has to, uh, has to listen to you. They, what you say is written stone. And I think that was sort of the old school. Um, I've since learned that uh, that will give you more problems than any, any successes. So uh, I think the idea here is that now, especially now with even the changing demographic and the new people coming into the workforce is the idea that it's all about empowerment, I think, and trust, that as, you know, I think the difference between a great leader and an okay leader is that you have to create that ability for for the team members to feel like they have, they are empowered to do the the thing, the right things. And the trust that the people that you hire are at times better experts um, than you are at many of the things that you hire them for. You know, the roles have become much more specialized to becoming a jack of all trades and a master of none. Right. I think that's as leaders, we're not we no longer expected to be experts in every single aspect of of marketing. I think by surrounding yourself with people who are way smarter in some aspects of that is is going to really allow you to succeed faster than before because by empowering and trusting those uh, exceptional individuals to work with you, and I said with you for a reason, is because it's no longer, you know, uh, people working for me. It's people working with me. And I think that's the, the number one thing I keep thinking about. Um, and I find that if you give people that level of uh, Autonomy and and um, supporting them and to succeed in their own goals is critical. Um, and and I think that's that's really important. So, and and I think just tying, I think we talked about this earlier. This idea of if you give people a goal that ties to the business objective, and they feel like whatever they're doing, you know, actually affects the business uh, strategy and the outcome. You know, we all want to see the fruits of our labor. And by giving our team members the ability to do that is, I think, critical. And um, and I think just generally, I think the role of a leader has changed in the sense it's not about telling people what to do. It's really prioritizing and serving the team members, making their life easier. Um, So it's not about my personal glory and power and success and looking good. It's about making my team look great. Uh, So give them back. And hopefully you have gained some experiences in your life that can be helpful to them and and allow them to learn and flourish as well. So, you know, and then that comes with hopefully giving them and demonstrating by example, things like, integrity, honesty, ethical behavior, and teamwork. I think these are all things that I think as leaders, um, we need to do And great leaders, I think, do that really, really well.
0: Yeah, a lot packed in there. But really, <laughs> what you're talking about, Martin, it's servant leadership. It's the mm-hmm. setting aside right. personal ego Putting others first and lifting your team, empowering your team—I love it. You that—that that was the essence of what you were talking about.
1: Yeah, you know, and and what made me think about this, I—I I, when I was younger, I, I read, I, I was on this path of understanding what makes people happy, and and I learned that it's not about the money that you make. There's a certain threshold that you go above. It, You know, if you're just an ultra rich person, chances of being happier than someone who is okay in terms of the money is is. It was a big eye opening thing for me, and I what I realized and I said, "Quick, well, what does make people happy?" And everything came back to this: is actually about serving others. You're absolutely right, and that is not only uh, in the professional world, but also in the personal space. You know, that's why one reason I, for the last few years now, I've been. Giving back to the community I've, I've been working I'm, I'm an immigrant my, my parents came to Canada when I was 14 years old um, and I've, I've got to working with this organization that allows to find meaningful employment in their trade when they first come to the country and I thought oh my god what a brilliant way to help these people in their first steps on their careers and I can't say I can't say how how happy it makes me to see that some of those people have truly succeeded. And, and, and I was, if even a little helpful in that makes me really, truly happy. And so I absolutely agree. I think the servant part is, is important. I think giving back to the communities that we work with um, both professionally and personally, I think it's, it's really important for, for that to become a holistic human being, you know?
0: Now what's the best piece of business advice you've ever received?
1: Hmm. Oh, I've had a few here and there, but I think the one comes to mind is somebody once told me, I think it was one of my bosses says, Martin, perfection is the enemy of good. And, and I learned that in the startup environment, um, when I had these grand ideas and I just, I had to perfect whatever I, I thought, you know, the world needed. And, um, and then somebody told me, like, look, like, look, you know what? Um, chances are your assumptions are wrong. Chances are that the things that you know are going to work will will fail. So the better thing to do is just to get get it done, get it done, get it to the to the good enough stage. And um, with marketing, especially, I find it's that especially digital marketing, you can iterate, right? You can get something out in the world that's not perfect. And then you can learn as you go, seeing what how people react to what what the content is and, and what the message is. You can always go back and say, hey, this is not working. I'm going to pause this. I'm going to change this. I'm going to tweak that. I'm going to double down on the other. So that's been the, one of the, probably the biggest lessons uh, is to just get out there. Uh, don't be afraid to don't be fooled by this perfection because a perfection probably doesn't exist not in the same way that you think about it and even to even th- these days i i catch myself all the time like i post something on linkedin even last week and i thought oh my god what a brilliant post and i had zero interaction nobody cared and and then another day i post something that seemed like oh yeah i think everybody knows this and then I'm getting all this positive reinforcement. People are commenting, engaging, and I'm like, wow, I've, I would have never expected that. So, you know, we have this curse of knowledge. Like sometimes we think we uh, we probably know too much and we don't understand that others may not have that same knowledge. And I think we get trapped in this idea that, uh, that we know what perfection looks like and, and clearly we don't. Um, it's really working with others to try and understand what that perfect sweet spot is.
0: Well, I think anyone or any organization that's truly committed to being in a continuous learning mode, by definition, they're going to be operating at something less than perfect. But the value of the learning and applying the learning becomes this really dynamic, just continuous momentum Mm -hmm. around the knowledge that you're gaining through actually doing, not just waiting to do.
1: Yeah, exactly, and and I think the whole premise of that saying is that the perfection sometimes um, people are less like because of, they have this vision of perfection, they're much more likely not to do anything. It just it it stifles uh, innovation. It, uh, it it sometimes it just completely blocks people from. Getting anything out to the market, and I think the idea is like, no, we we can't afford to do that. Not not these days. And most of the products these days, in electronics especially, like they have many bugs. And I mean, we all know that, right? The, the word bug is such a familiar term. Why is because the expectation is that what you get in your hands is less than perfect, and that's why you have hundreds of updates through the life of the software or the hardware that will be continually improving on it. So. And businesses can't afford not to go out to market with less than perfect products or services. So I think the same goes for marketing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, when you think about the future, Martin, what makes you optimistic?
1: Hmm. Yeah, I think AI is so fresh in my mind. Um and I'm trying to be positive about it, not just you know looking at the abyss of what that could mean for, uh, for us losing our uh, careers. And, and, but I think what like i we talked about it earlier. This idea of if AI is used appropriately, I think it opens up a lot of opportunity for marketers uh, in the way that it's going to automate a lot of the mundane tasks, a lot of the things that are you know a busy work that it's not strategic it's not creative and i think uh with the advent of ai i think we have an opportunity to 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 do more uh, in the sense that to focus on things that are actually more fun at least in my books you know to do more innovative things to experiment to be more creative try out new things you don't if you're just uh, keeping the lights on you don't have the opportunity to do that. And I think with AI, I'm hopeful that it would do that. And at the other side, like because I work with sometimes big tech companies and I sometimes work with very small entrepreneurial companies that can't afford to hire marketers. And I hope that with AI, that it, that marketing will become much more affordable, uh, giving you know SMB, small, medium-sized enterprises, an opportunity to really try to do marketing that's going to have a really immediate, I think an immediate impact on their business and their solutions and allowing them to flourish. So that's my my hope for the future.
0: And that is a really exciting future you're talking about there. And, you know, we're all as marketing leaders constantly thinking about how can we continue to elevate the performance of our teams do you have any other final advice Please. for leaders around how they can get there
1: i think we touched on a lot of the stuff but i'm gonna say it again uh i like to repeat myself experiment 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 you know i think don't be afraid to try new things uh work find organizations to work with who are willing to make mistakes um that's one of my red flags by the way. If I go into any kind of job interview and I talk to people and they say that there's no room for failure, I'm like that's not the place for me. Um we need you know, we need to have permission to to try and fail, try again and fail again and learn from those experiences and ultimately find something that's going to be truly unique that's going to work. Um and yeah, I think just a dabble with these new technologies to allow you to to automate some of these tasks that I mentioned earlier and to become more innovative and strategic. So I don't think I'm saying anything new, but I think I just want to stress that it's all about challenging ourselves, challenging the status quo and experiment. And, you know, don't just, don't just say it's okay. You can always do better, right? It's
0: back to continuous learning
1: continuous learning exactly it's all about continuous learning but it's also continuously challenging yourself because if you if you don't challenge yourself you assume that the status quo is okay and i think that status quo is never okay you always have to push the narrative push the boundaries of what we can do um and and challenge your team members as well to think hey let's let's try this to do this differently like if it's working okay let's leave it don't let's not let's not uh Stop it, but let's see if we can try new things and to do things differently. Um, and I think those those really um, new marketers out there, you know, the new generation, I think they're keen on on trying new things, and I'm excited about that
0: that's right there's there's this curiosity and there's this acceptance and this openness and this desire to, hey, we always think things can get better. I love that about this this newest generation that's coming in because it's going to challenge those old ways of thinking of just getting stuck, kind of Mm -hmm. stuck in neutral. And it's like, no, we got to be out of neutral and we got to keep moving. Well, Martin, thank you again for joining, sharing your unique perspective on effective marketing and also your journey as an exceptional leader and how servant leadership is really uh, critical to really uh, achieving all that marketing can deliver and helping a company succeed. Thanks for joining.
1: Thank you so much, Dan. I really enjoyed our chat and hopefully uh, so did your audience. So I'm looking forward to hearing some feedback if you have any.
0: Feedback is coming. And that's a great transition to reminding everyone to please continue to give your feedback on how this podcast can continue to get better. It's so easy to do. Go out, rate, and review on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.